You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, episode 21. This week's artist, Pink Floyd. Hey, you, breathe. Just speak to me. Show me signs of life. Remember a day when the fat old sun wasn't obscured by clouds? Fearless, you rode your bike, but one slip, and it became the crying song. Stop! Don't leave me now! It's time! The show must go on. Here's your hosts, in the flesh, Rob Heitman, and special guest host, and master of the keyboards, Jason Weck. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, where we rank the Dirty Dozen or Top 12 Pink Floyd songs while discussing their music and pounding back a few brews. I'm Rob. And I'm Jason. Jason, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, so it's good for you to be here. Yeah, so, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. You're, so you're excited, yeah? Cool. Yes. Cool. I'd like to thank everyone who's been active on our Facebook page. Although I can't send a shout-out to everyone, I'd like to take a quick second to send a special shout-out to Carrie Byers, Michael Smith, Dave Hampton, and Alicia Jones for being active on our Facebook page. Thank you very much. All right, so Jason, tell me how the music of Pink Floyd impacted the world of Jason Weck. Well, I think I was more musically narrow when I was a kid. I'm a younger guy. Pink Floyd was doing stuff well before I was born. So my exposure then really began in my teenage years just simply listening to the radio. So you'd hear a lot of the top songs that were on KLOS or whatever at the time. And obviously at the very beginning, I thought, well, Pink Floyd's this great band, got a lot of texture, a lot of creativity. But little did I know just how complex and how varied they were. Right. And really just being you know completely immersed in their music as I have been recently, it's been so eye-opening. So I think the biggest impact that they've had on me has been really more recently. Listening to their progression over the years and how long they've been playing and what happened with different things that happened to the band and how that impacted their music. It's really, really very powerful stuff. And you're a keyboard player, so like Richard Wright and a lot of things he did and even some of the sequencer stuff, I imagine is pretty cool. In your... It absolutely is. Listening to different musical styles work their way into his creative work and then also seeing how he goes back to a very traditional Pink Floyd standard, which I'm sure we'll we'll get more into, but just that, that complexity and that variety was inspiring. Yeah, like Biker or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, I bought The Wall when I was in high school. Actually, maybe junior high. And it was like one of those first albums that I had. Mm-hmm. And I played back and forth. First, I didn't realize the monster was looking up somebody's shorts. You know, when I was a little <laughs> kid. Uh, and then I did, obviously. I, w- I was really into MTV. And when Learning to Fly came out, I really got into momentary laps. But then I went to college. And I played in a band in college. And I really got into Pink Floyd. In college, hmm, I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I remember my I was going to University of Arizona, and my father came to visit. And University of Arizona is a very big astronomy school. Hmm. And as a side effect of that, they have one of the nicest planetariums pretty much anywhere. No kidding. Oh, wow. So they also host these things at midnight that I was a big fan of. And mm-hmm. I thought my father would be a big fan of, <laughs> which is the dark side of the moon laser show at midnight wow so i took my dad there and you know he's kind of feeling out of place he's probably 30 years older than most people there are 20 years older right and he's walking in at midnight with like all these stoners and people <laughs> or whatever going to let's see pink floyd and i was one of those i guess and we walked in we got in and we sat down and they started spraying this stuff in the air 
which was to let the lasers show better. Oh, so, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes it. sense, yes. But my father thought they were spraying drugs in the air. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I always kind of think of that every time I hear uh, Dark Side, even though it's, it's one of my favorite albums. I remember my father, and I, <laughs> that memory pops back in my head. Uh, but I've listened to Floyd regularly, and Gilmore's tone for me has always been like the holy grail that I hope to mm. obtain. It just sounds so smooth, and just it's wonderful. Anyway, let's shift gears a little bit. I wish you could see me right now because I did some really cool hand gestures right there. <laughs> Jason brought some cool beer. Jason, why don't you tell us what the beer you brought was? So this is Elysian Space Dust by Elysian Brewery. I figured that something referring to space would be appropriate for a Pink Floyd discussion. It is an IPA. It's 8.2% alcohol, and it, it's really smooth. It's absolutely very, very smooth, I thought. Yeah, it's definitely hazy if you look through it. Mm -hmm. It's not clear. It's kind of a golden, almost an orangey type of look. Head isn't huge. Let me taste it, even though I kind of had a sip already, but I'll taste it for flavors and see what I come up with. I think I taste mango, of, mm. of all things. Maybe some peach. Very citrusy, not not heavy on the hops. A lot of IPAs will not go well on a hot day, right? Because yeah. they're just real heavy and real, real stiff, right? Real bitter. Mm -hmm. This one's got a little bit of bitterness to it, but I think that the fruit forward, if I can use a, a wine tasting term, the fruit forward of the beer actually makes it a little more comfortable to drink on, on a summer You didn't day. have to caveat that as wine tasting. <laughs> like, I, we wouldn't know what you're talking about. We're like, wow, that's pretty insightful, Jason. He must know a lot about beer. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think the, the sweetness kind of balances the bitterness of it, of the hops. There was some grassiness in it, too. A little bit of a... Earthiness, I guess. Yeah, I can't really tell what this little hop guy on the label is doing. I'm not sure I want to know. I don't know. Let me look. <laughs> yeah, he's blowing... He's blowing the he's space blowing dust. The space dust. That's right. Dude. Of course he is. He's listening to the Pink Floyd. That's right. Astronomy Donnelly. Yeah. And, and like the space dust is just flowing right out. Interstellar Overdrive. He's in that mode. The epitome thereof. There we go. Before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing the songs we'll share under 15 seconds of each tune unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight. Then we may do a second clip. We have made Apple Music and Spotify playlists. Just search, quote, official dirty dozen, end quote, on either service to listen to each of our lists in their entirety. This way, all of the money for playing tunes will always head back to Pink Floyd. We have also created a current episode playlist, which will automatically update with each podcast to the current podcast. So subscribe once and always be updated. So Jason, let's just go to the meat of the matter and jump right in. What's your song of note? Oh, this was a tough one. We talked about briefly about Pink Floyd's catalog and just the incredible breadth that they cover. And so I honestly bounced back and forth on my song of note. The one that I picked was from the Relics album in 1971. It's called Biding My Time. Um, wow. Okay. I liked the uh, New Orleans horns feel, kind of the bluesy piano, really swinging, laid back lyrics. And when the guitar kicks in, it delivers quite a punch. Yeah, I remember the big bluesy tone of the big band type of setup on this. I think it was recorded in 69, but it just came out in 71, like you're saying, with Relics. There was a trombone in it. And yep. Rick Wright, your favorite guy, he's the guy <laughs> playing it. So uh, anyway, let's hear a little bit of Biding My Time, Jason's Song of Note. Okay, 
<laughs> that was Jason Spider-My Time. Pretty good. It's good to see we got some Sid in, in, in the cast. Well, um, then again, maybe your entire list is all Sid. Uh, maybe it, you're, it very well could be. Well, we'll find out, I guess. Okay, let's shift over to mine, which is not Sid. Well, it's off of Obscured by Clouds, so it's an earlier piece. But it's the one that I thought didn't fit as a Floyd song. It almost sounded Steppenwolfy. We just created a new word, Steppenwolfy. I did. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's kind of interesting to see what they would do if they wanted to go that full rock route. Mm-hmm. And the gold, it's in the you know, like the hills or whatever. Yep, that's a, that's a great track. I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was just so different for Floyd. And I figured, hey, that's something to be put up as a song of note. People probably wouldn't even realize that they did stuff like this. Uh, the hook kind of keeps in your head when you finish it. It's just a standard rock feel, which is just so weird for Floyd. I thought it was a very rooted rock and roll tune, just like you were saying. The bass and the guitar both were just exceptional. I love the chord progressions, because like you said, it's very much um, a Steppenwolfy type sure, of, sure. of scenario. I love that lyric, uh, count me in on the journey, don't expect me to stay. I mean, there the, you, go. you can't get much more clear than that. But just overall, such a great, well-listening piece. Okay, so let's hear my song of note. There's gold in the... No, I'm sure it's not a, not a Western <laughs> thing. Okay, that's my song of note. There's gold in the... Off of Obscured by Clouds. So, the way we're going to work this, Jason, is... You're going to start with your number 12. Okay. Which is going to be an obscure song off of Relics, I'm sure. <laughs> and then I'll do my 12 and 11. And we'll walk down and we'll talk about each one as we, it comes up. Great. If we match, call it out so we don't waste people's time and do it twice. Great. Okay. All right. Sounds like a plan. But if it's but if it's your three and it's my nine, don't call it out. Don't call that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. we know that wouldn't make any sense at all. No, no. <laughs> Excellent. So my number 12, I thought of the phrase, a rock anthem adventure. It has multiple movements in it. It's got patterns that bring out some of the best musicality of the group. Um, it's mysterious. It's really hard to anticipate where the song is going. Like you can listen to it, and you can't figure out the direction it's going to take. Vocals do take a backseat in the song, so I didn't think it deserved to get ranked any higher than that. But my number 12 is Echoes off of Metal. Yeah, that's what I figured. I already went to Echoes on, <laughs> on, on everything. As soon as you started talking, I was oh, this is this, this. Oh, I know what it is. Yeah. When you go and you take one side of an album and you dedicate it to Echoes, it's kind of like, okay, you know, this is a, a big song. And I think it's one of the first songs that I heard that really sort of sounded like Floyd. Mm, yep. You know what I mean? As Floyd, we would know later on. Obviously, the Sid Floyd was different. But the transition, once Sid left, and then they had this time period they were moving, and they were trying to find their way, I think. And as they were trying to find their way, they kind of like hit on this thing. And they said, oh, let's just do this Echoes thing. 23 minutes long? Uh, it's a very long song. And supposedly you can watch 2001 A Space Odyssey with this, kind of like a... The, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, but the the last 23 minutes of the song echoes the last 23 minutes of the movie, supposedly. Oh, really? So you have to kind of set it up so you, you know the last 20... you set, set the movie... Not the even right wind spot. it up anymore. You just have to go on a streaming. I was watching... Uh, I did the Wizard of Oz thing with Darkseid in this process because it was just fun to do. Yeah, totally. And you can do it online now, so you don't even have to worry about lining it up. Wow. There's a link out there, which I'll share with everybody. So if you want to watch it the way it's supposed to be watched, and you don't have to worry about the timing of when, when do I hit this? When do I hit the space bar? When do I start? Uh, around five minutes in, it's kind of interesting. You can hear the Phantom of the Opera line. Yes. And, and, Absolutely. I, I was, I, I 
forgot to write that down, but you are so right. I wasn't expecting to hear that. I was like, well, where did they pull this out of? Well, they didn't. They stole that from this. At least that's Roger Waters' statement. That, that was what he said. Is yeah, that, yeah. That he was the victim of, of theft. Of theft, theft on that, yeah. Because, ah. But if you hear it, it really does sound like it. I've seen the play. I used to live in New York. I don't know if I lose a little bit of man card because I see Broadway plays, but there you <laughs> well, go. Well, I saw the movie version, so it was, I've, I've had that exposure to the music, and uh, it, it sounds like it's def- some definite uh, music skulldery. Well, you're a keyboard player, so that's pretty much... I kind of have to, right? <laughs> yeah. So you, you already lose a little bit of man card off the top end. Uh, totally. Totally. <laughs> Didn't have much to start with, and now I'm a little bit less. <laughs> All right. Let's listen. Oh, gosh. Um, we're listening to a 23-minute song, <laughs> and we have 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> now the question is, which 15 seconds? Yeah, we'll see. Uh... For me, the only issue I had with this, and probably why it didn't make my list, I thought they should have stopped at 14 minutes. At 14, no, seriously. I was at 14 minutes. I'm like, I'm really enjoying this. I'm really enjoying it. And then I was like, ah, let's just stop. Yep. And then they came back, and they did this weird thing. And th- then the sequencer comes in in like 16 minutes, and then they do something to eight, and then the guitars come back in at like 18 minutes. I'm yeah. like, oh. And the vocals only finally come back in at like 19 plus, yeah. right? It just seemed a little overindulgent at mm-hmm. some points. That, that they couldn't get to the point. There's other songs that are that long that in the Floyd catalog that I think are, that they build and it's wonderful. Right. It, it makes I, sense to have it be that long. Right. This but, one kind of yeah. wore out its welcome after 14 minutes. Yeah, yeah that was me too. So, uh, all right. So let's hear uh, Echoes. <laughs> we'll give a little vocals too on that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that. I just figured that Phantom stuff, it's just so you can hear it. So I only play like... Uh, like seven seconds of that, so we still have some time. Let's go. There we go. That's uh, Jason's number twelve echoes. Good. I was. I'm glad. That, I'm glad that made it, even though it wasn't on mine. Glad, glad one of us got it right. <laughs> one, one of us. One of us put it on there. There you go. Even if it was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> My twelve. That said, is sort of self-indulgent. Uh oh. If I'm going to add a song that's important to me, but may not be actually in their 12 by most Floyd fans, number 12 is where I add it. That said, I really do think this is the number 12 song. When I came really hard back into Floyd after my initial exposure with The Wall was through MTV, Mm. and it was through Momentary Lapse of Reason, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily a Floyd fan's number one album. Right. right? But for me, I thought that that indicated something, and... It's a song that I've always had in my head, and there's a reason I like it. My my uh, Learning to Fly mm-hmm. is my number 12. My father taught at the Academy of Aeronautics in Long Island, mm-hmm. although I don't have a license, or I've almost crashed a plane once flying it, though. Yikes. So it was a piper. We were up and uh, up with, there was four of us, and I was in the front seat, my father was in the back seat, and the pilot was saying, okay, take the wheel, and it was a very windy day. So he said, turn in to this and I was turning into the wind mm-hmm. so I turned it and I said oh maybe I have to turn a little bit more so I made the left he goes okay great and I level out now turn right and I said I turned this far left Uh-oh. which was into the wind <laughs> I turned right and we literally inverted oh my goodness and started you know we're, this is a piper <laughs> but luckily the pilot was good and I'm still here <laughs> but it's interesting in this song they do this whole uh, thing about flying and actually it's mm-hmm. about a lot of the things that you need 
to know about Learning to Fly. There's a lot of the real stuff is in there. Nick Mason's actual flying lesson is when they go mixture switch and they start talking about all that stuff. Right, okay. That's actually taken from his actual flying lesson. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Uh, so it's interesting. And uh, actually, Gilmore was so into flying, he actually later started a company called Intrepid Aviation. Oh, wow. And yeah, and he enjoys flying vintage aircraft and does some wonderful things with it. So anyway, uh, anything else on Learning to Fly? It's probably my second favorite song off that album. It's so interesting to hear David Gilmore's detraction from a normal Floyd process without Roger Waters and really I thought he was he was really absorbing himself into the the 80s pop music world with some of the the pads and some of the the drum beats and some of the effects on the drums itself really took me into the next decade when I listened to that album so but yeah I absolutely enjoy the track okay so let's hear a little bit of learning to fly Okay, that's my number 12, Learning to Fly. So I get to go again now. And my uh, number 11 is off of Dark Side of the Moon. All right. And it was their single off of Dark Side, the one that uh, really got them some play in the U.S. It was Money is my number Mm -hmm. 11. Yeah, it's interesting. The time signature, Mm -hmm. and without getting too geeky in here, there's this, most of the song they're in uh, 7-8 for Money. And then they go four, four when the guitar solo comes in. Mm-hmm. And Gilmore was being interviewed about this, and he goes, "We created a four, four progression for the guitar solo. We made the poor saxophone player play in seven four. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. You know, spoken uh, like a true guitar player, by the way. Oh, that was great. <laughs> I, I, I think that should be a rule. You know, let the keyboard solo be in seven eight or something. We'll do a change to four four right before the guitar solo. I, I'm all on that. Yeah, I love the tacit and the, there's the rhythm section with some guitar fills that comes in. It's just, it's tasty. The lyric line and money is so strong. Funny people thought that it was pro money. Right. Yeah, and it's really not. The cash register loop, their audio engineer, I don't know if you know this, but the audio engineer on Dark Side of the Moon is a guy who had a famous band afterward, but he was the audio engineer at this point. It's Alan Parsons. Oh, really? Yeah. No, he, I didn't know that. He was the wow. audio engineer on Dark Side of the Moon. The whole looping mm-hmm. thing that we can do in like two seconds now in Pro Tools or in Logic or whatever they had to use actual tape and run it through the player again. <laughs> so they had this loop that was 20 feet long in the studio. Oh, goodness. That they had it for the cash register thing. And it went around and they used mic stands <laughs> to kind of have it run around. And it's crazy. And it's pretty much the sounds of tearing paper and bags of loose coins being thrown into a, uh, a mixing mixing bowl. Mm-hmm. That's the song that you're actually hearing. I like the... Money, so they say, is the root of all evil today, right? Mm-hmm. Today, right? Which is pretty much from Timothy, First Timothy. Right. <laughs> For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I thought that was kind of interesting that Pink Floyd would use some reference to the Bible in there that wasn't something that was negative. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> yeah, because I, 
oh, I almost lost a beer there. Uh-oh. And that would have been bad. That's not excusable. So anything on money? You know, it, it and, you can, and you can hold off a little bit if it's later. Or no, you know, unfortunately, it did not make my top twelve, and, okay. and it's one of the songs that I always thought I should have. But when I just added everything up, um, it it didn't make it. I'm a I'm a big Rhodes fan, so I, I love the Rhodes sounds. I love the the, the choppy staccato you know, impacts of the Rhodes. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Rhodes is a piano keyboard, right? Yeah, electric yeah. piano. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's not Randy Rhodes, which would be a totally <laughs> other podcast. <laughs> Totally different story. No, it's it's a it's a great track. I I have to admit it's one of the probably one of the first Floyd songs I've ever ever heard, and I couldn't at the beginning I couldn't get past the cash register. I'm like, why is this thing here? You know, this is not music. This is just noise. Uh, now, of course, knowing more and 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 listening to it more, it's obviously it makes total sense in in terms of an artistic piece. But and they had to tie that manually. That wasn't like something now you just put a thing on and make it on beat. They had to figure out that's why it was twenty inch. That's why it was twenty feet long or whatever. That they had to run this thing is that was the timing to get it on beat. It's amazing it, it, because all analog, this right? Is, this is not digital world, right? No, they do everything by hand and measure. Okay, every, so many beats is so many inches of tape, and it's it's crazy how how easy things are in the recording world these days compared to what they were doing back then. Oh God, imagine. Uh, anyway, let's hear uh, a little bit of money because it's a gas. All right, that's my number 11, Money. So, Jason, what's your number 11? Well, my number 11 is off of the widely popular album called Obscured by Clouds. Okay. And uh, released in 1972, um, this track has a grooving beat, uh, great guitar solos, and I like the the tone that uh, the guitar has on it as well. Um, I'm a big fan of the organ as well, so it's just like the, the organ touches in this tune are great and uh kind of a funky rhythm uh was really really enjoyable to listen to childhood's end okay uh, obscured by clouds is my number 11 the album obscured by clouds is actually a a soundtrack to a french film film called le valley uh, which means the valley go figure ah I, I would not have guessed that and the childhood's end was taken from arthur c Clarke's science fiction novel of the oh, same no name. kidding yeah wow you can tell it's Floyd right off the bat. They have the one and a half minutes of just intro. Right. You're just waiting for something to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of interesting when the vocals come in. It's more like a standard beat. It's mm-hmm. nothing exotic or anything. Gilmore's voice is great. It's not as psychedelic as some of their yes. other stuff, right? Yes. But it sounds good. Yeah. It's a it's a good tune. I, it would have been in my 25. Ah, very so good. I, it didn't make my 12, but I can see how it could. Let's hear Childhood's End off of Obscured by Clouds. Jason Wex. Number 11. Okay, that was Jason's number 11, Childhood's End. Uh, what do you got at 10? All right, so my number 10, sort of along the same vein. Uh, it's off of the album A Saucer Full of Secrets. Wow, you're doing, you're doing I'm, good here. I'm going, going way back, 1968. Uh, catchy rhythmic guitar intro. Got a real wailing organ piece. Breaks down and then strikes back up with uh, the organ guitars and some great dissonant notes in the solo that kind of, add, it kind of almost forecasts the dissonance that Pink Floyd would bring to bear in their later pieces. This is Let There Be More Light from A Saucer Full of Secrets, my okay. number 10. 
if you listen to this and you think of Loosing the Sky with Diamonds, mm-hmm. you'll hear some of the, He actually calls out Loosing the Sky with Diamonds in the lyrics. I, I think I remember that, yes. This is just true psychedelic space rock. Picks up later in, uh, but it grows on you. Like, this is one yes. where I listened to, it was like, because it's like this repeatable riff, like you were saying before. But it's not always the same because I think they were making mistakes. <laughs> I, I don't think it was intentional. The vocals were actually detracted from this tune for me. Hmm. It would have been better in my head if this was one of like Interstellar Overdrive or something where it was just mostly instrumental. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because right? I really enjoyed the instruments happening. Yes. But the voice distracted from me. Interesting. Oh, Although, yeah, just generally. All right. Uh, let's hear Let There Be More Light because everybody needs a little bit more light. Now is the time, time, time to be, be, be aware. So that was your, that was your 10? That was my number 10. Wow. Let there be more light. Saucer full of secrets. That's really interesting. Anyway, no money, but okay. no money, but uh, there's uh, more light. There you go. There you go. I, I, I have some interesting ones coming up, but not necessarily. Not quite that interesting? Not at number 10. Ah. At number 10, I have a song that, before, let me just caveat this. I kind of wanted to talk about this earlier, but I really forgot. Mm. There's three songs, there's three groups of songs that we had discussed beforehand. We're like, these songs meld into each other so tightly that we're going to combine them. There were three instances of that. One was uh, Brain Damage and Eclipse. Right. One was Happiest Days and Another Brick 2. Right. And the third one was Speak to Me and Breathe in the Air. Ah, there we go. Right. Uh, Those are the three we decided to lump together. The reason I'm bringing this up at number 10, Happiest Days and Another Brick. Okay. Which is my number 10. And Happiest Days, I think if Happiest Days was on its own, I like that better than the second half. Interesting. Okay. And even though Another Brick in the Wall is the poppy one or even a disco-y one mm-hmm. i really like the happiest days part of it but mm-hmm. since we lumped them together i'm like i have to get it on there somewhere so i, I brought on number 10 okay uh happiest days of our lives and another brick in the wall i love the helicopter and the fade in the beginning of uh happiest days and then the yelling in the microphone and the pulsating delayed guitar comes in i just used to love the song in junior high <laughs> go figure right right i, I, I was right. in that world we don't need no education hey these teachers the reason they're mean is because they're being beaten at home not that I really want teachers to be beaten. Teachers are awesome. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. You got it. But when I was an 11-year-old or whatever. You well, know, it just like, made it easy to explain the world. At that yeah. Point. Yeah. It was like, oh, they're just mean because they, that's how they are. They have other things happening that I don't know about. And that's probably true to some degree. It's interesting. Bob Ezrin, their producer, who was a fan of the disco group Chic, heard their guitar tone. Mm-hmm. And it was different from what any regular traditional rock band was doing. Mm-hmm. He actually asked David to go and listen to them, go to a club. And oh, listen. really? Yeah. Okay. So that when they came about Another Brick in the Wall 2, they'd have that different sort of vibe to it. Well, he succeeded. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and this is a whole backstory. The, the school kids who were involved in this, mm-hmm. there was a local school in England. The music teacher had punk posters on his wall. And stuff. Oh, real? Wow. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily a Floyd fan, but he was going to get studio time for some of his kids if they came and just did this thing. Mm-hmm. So they did it, and he didn't get permission for his kids to do this. Uh-oh. <laughs> so... Here's your school students singing 
we don't need no education. Nice. We don't need no thought control. <laughs> Dark sarcasm <laughs> in our classroom. Teacher, leave those kids alone. <laughs> Perfect. And those are the kids singing it. They actually got in trouble for not paying them. Oh, well. So they ended up giving each of them a copy of The Wall. <laughs> Free. <laughs> and they donated a couple thousand pounds to the to school. Mm-hmm. But a couple of the people ended up suing them over time. Ah. And I think four kids got substantially more than the Wall album. Because they sang those four the, lines. <laughs> well, it was it was a big part of that song. It was like a whole... That's... Oh, no, it totally makes the song. It absolutely does. You don't get the vibe of that song without the kids doing it. You know, otherwise, you got some older guys talking about how bad school is. and like, well, wait, wait a minute, what do you know about school? It was their only number one hit. Another Amazing. brick on the wall. Yeah. Amazing. But you got to think, how many singles did they actually have? Right. Maybe Comfortably Numb or something like that. Well, so much of their albums were built on on the album itself. Like, yeah. And then the flow. So it's hard to cut a single out of Like We combined these tracks because it was difficult to cut it out. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to do that was because that's the way I'd heard it on the radio. So even on the radio, when, when I was listening to it, I'd hear both those tracks put together. And I honestly thought that was one track. Right, because it... it... It segues so smoothly into the second one. Yeah, it does. So anyway, let's hear uh, my number 10. Oh, gosh. Once again, I apologize to those of you who are big. We don't need no education expecting to hear that because right now we're going to go to happiest days. Okay, that's my number 10, Happiest Days of Our Lives, Another Brick in the Wall, Part 2. All in one for your happiness. Now, listening enjoyment. Now, my number nine is off of two albums. <laughs> oh, two for one. Two for one. All right. Off a of Saucer Full of Secrets and Umagumma. Oh, boy. Yeah, go figure. Oh, boy. Uh, it's a Second Trolls for the Heart of the Sun. Hmm. I love that sort of vibe. It just had this movement. I'm like... I was moving to it. I really liked it. And one of the interesting things about this is Sid's guitar is on this track. Okay. And Gilmore's guitar is on this track. And this is one of the only songs that they're all on. So I thought that's from a historical point of view. It's a great song to have on. Uh, the bass hook is great. The drums and the chimes are great. The Middle Eastern sort of vibe. Uh, they have seagulls in there. You have to like it with seagulls. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this was one of Roger Waters' first compositions wow. that he was proud of by in Pink Floyd. So, Second Trolls for the Heart of the Sun off of Saucer Filled Secrets and Amagama. Interesting story about Amagama. Amagama is not a real word, but one of the band members, I can't remember who off the top of my head, said that it was, I think it, I think it was Richard Wright, who said it was slang for sex. <laughs> and he, he just made, he had made it up. It wasn't actually slang for sex. It was, he made it up. He told everybody that's what it was. And everybody said, oh, that's great. Let's do it. Let's, that's a great name for an album. <laughs> there you go. Guess it sounds better than the Headboard Shuffle. The Headboard Shuffle. That, that's, that's the name for a band. Actually, that, that was the name of my first sex That's tape. what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, golly. All right. Any thoughts on set controls for the heart of the sun, which I can't imagine you have? What do you got? Um, actually, I do not have that. It's an interesting track. It just didn't make my top 25. But definitely having those two guitar players in, in one place at one time, I can totally see why it's uh, it, it's worth that, that credibility. And it's interesting. It's the bass lick that really kind of starts that. Here we go. 
right, that's number nine, Set Controls for the Heart of the Sun, off two albums, the live version of Amagama, where if you think about it, that's what saved Amagama from being the worst album of, <laughs> of the Floyd catalog. At least they had some cool live tracks on there. Well, and it's an interesting use of the xylophone in that track, too, which I thought was, it's, I don't hear the xylophone, I don't think in any other track I listened to, but uh, very, very creative on their part. There you go. So that's my number nine. What do you got on your number nine, Jason? All right. Uh, my number nine, I am reaching all the way back to the Relics album. Uh, this is... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Rob's like, not again. Uh, no, no, that's cool. That's cool. Um, this is a straight-up rock and roll tune. Great chord progressions. It is a detraction from what Pink Floyd is, but I just thought the song was so good that it, it had to be there. This is the Nile song from Relics. Oh, the Nile song. I like that. It's a lot harder than than Pink Floyd usually does. I just thought that was so good. And earlier when we talked about just the breadth of the band itself, I really like to see how they can do all these different styles and still excel at them. Part of the reason that the Now song made my list. The song, I, I think it has some cliche lyrics, spreading your wings to fly, all that stuff in there. It almost sounds like almost a parody of heavy metal. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't think Richard Wright even plays on this track. But yeah, it's it's interesting, and I, I like it. It's almost like uh, you almost want them to say, well, we turned it up to 11. That's right. Uh, yeah, and That's you, right. You get that sort of, <laughs> definitely get that vibe from it. No, I do like it. It just it, it actually, if I was doing my top 25 songs I liked, mm-hmm. it would be in there. Right. Right, as opposed to the top 25 Floyd songs, because I thought it was so deviated from the yep. norm of Floyd. That if I was say put it in like a uh, hole in the ground with these twelve songs on it, and I he came out and said, "This is Pink Floyd," right, and they'd hear the Nile song, and this, it wouldn't be it. Yeah, it absolutely would not be it. So anyway, let's hear the Nile song. Okay, that's Jason's number nine. The Nile song. So uh, what do you have at number eight, my friend? Number eight is uh, actually a song. Off of Relics. (laughs) Uh, No, but it is a song we've already reviewed. Um, It is uh, Happiest Days, Brick in the Wall Part 2. Okay. And and honestly, like I said before, this is a a tune that I listened to on the radio. This is how it was played together. When the bass drops at the very beginning of Another Brick in the Wall 2, mm-hmm. I, I think that was what hooked me on the song. And then the arpeggiated guitar, you know, syncopated arpeggiated guitar lick. I love the uh, <laughs> the spoken word at the end of the song. And it took me a long time to figure out why the kids couldn't have their pudding if they didn't eat their meat. <laughs> and, you got, and, that's what, and, it, and it honestly took me a while to figure out what that was the guy was saying like, yeah, yeah. he's got this real thick i think it's a scottish brogue in, in yeah. accent and it's like he's just he's just going after like you, you how can you have your pudding if you don't eat your meat you know it's just it to me it just epitomized the whole concept of the distance between the kids who they couldn't figure out their worldview and the parents like this is so obvious to me you know why don't you get it yeah so uh um, happiest days on the birth of the wall, uh, my number eight. Okay. Oh, uh, one real minor thing that I left out um, before is the chorus, that massive chorus of kids, which sounds like it's hundreds of kids, 23 kids, but they overdubbed it 12 times. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, wonder if it was like 20 feet of tape of overdubbing. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but they overdubbed it 12 times. So um, Wow. There you go. That's why it's so big. And actually, Bob Ezrin, the guy who... He came up with the idea for the kids. He was their producer. Also had done this before. He did it once before because he produced Alice Cooper's Schools Out. Mm. 
there, there you go. There's go. the connection, right? There's the connection. And that's that's kind of where that tied in together. So anyway, here's another brick in the wall, part two. Okay, real quick, uh, let's hear that other part that Jason was talking about with the ending of the song. Okay, I figured I just had to play that for Jason. Because <laughs> every kid wants their pudding without eating the rest of their meal, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So my number eight, because we're on to my eight now, is off of Animals. Oh, okay. I think uh, I can guess which one this one is, but I'll uh, but you go can, for it. I mean, it could be a lot of them, actually. There, there's a lot of good stuff on there. I actually have Pigs. Okay. The three different ones. Okay. That one. I love it. And uh, even Eric Cartman loves this song. <laughs> I don't think so, Scott. I'm going to Fort Collins myself. Oh, you can't do this to me. No. Haha, <laughs> Sherrod, you are, Scott. Have you no heart? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just does it in passing. And it's like, you know, that's that's the only way. Aha, Sherrod, you are. I mean, that's it, it's right from there. And it's it's. Clearly a Floyd fan wrote that. It starts out with the pig noises in the beginning, some acoustical classical guitar over the top with some electric chords hitting you. Cowbell. You gotta love cowbell. Right. Or it could be a wood block, but we it's at 140. Cowbell. Yeah. I gotta have more cowbell. And I put my socks on the same way you do, except when I put my socks on, I make box <laughs> records. <laughs> and it's interesting. I always thought this was about the White House was a political statement against the United States, mm. but it's really not. It's about this woman called Mary Whitehouse. Oh, really? Yeah, who was a conservative in the UK. She led a movement to keep sex off TV. Waters felt that she had no right to decide what people should watch. And he said, this is a quote, oh, she, um, should I do like a, no, no, <laughs> maybe I'll, I won't do it. <laughs> oh, she was, I have to do it a little bit. Oh, she was everywhere pontificating on TV, interfering with everyone's life, making a nuisance of herself and trying to drag English society back to the age of Victorian propriety. <laughs> it's interesting. This is where the giant inflatable pig comes from. That, that Yeah, I've seen that on, on concert For their tour, concerts, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. right. And they even brought it out for the wall in the beginning. It was kind of interesting. When they shot the album cover for Animals mm -hmm. over a London power station, they wanted to have this big pig over top flying <laughs> and it was great during the shoot the pig broke free uh oh and it caused chaos as it flew into Heathrow airport <laughs> <laughs> and it went up 18,000 feet before it came down in the farmer's yard in Kent or whatever <laughs> farmer's farm in Kent the picture never actually took place they composited the shot oh wow when they ended up doing it but anyway love the bass line under the solo on this another long Floyd song yep not so, so long. Only 11 and a half minutes or so. Yeah. but very It's almost uh, infinitesimal by Floyd standards. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So let's hear a little bit of pigs. Three different ones. Ha <laughs> ha. Sherrod, you are. That's my number eight. Pigs, three different ones off of animals. Yeah, that guitar lick when it comes in is just, it's so catchy. It, just, it is. It really, it, is. it hooks you in and makes you gravitate towards that song. I, I got to say, that's that's fantastic work. No, it is. And that's what kind of brought me into it. And that and everything in the, the repetitive, ha, 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 how sure you are. And yep. hearing the, the South Park in it, too. It <laughs> also, also always helps. All right, my number seven 
is off of the wall. Okay. There we go. We're now, getting we're, we're, we're getting, we're getting to, into uh, it. We're getting about halfway more through. More well known stuff here. <laughs> Some galloping delay in yep. the intro. Run like hell. Ah, it's my number seven. So good. Open big chords rung out, and if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I love big open chords strummed out, and this has that. Electronic drums actually work kind of good here. It's interesting in the wall concerts. You can watch it online. It's really epic. They build a wall on stage and they have like these windows that come out of it. Nice. And they have like fake Floyd and real Floyd. And, <laughs> and they have Roger Waters on the bottom of the stage singing Comfortably Numb. And then it flips to the top of a 35 foot wall that they built. And Gilmore is up there singing his part and doing nice. the solo for Comfortably Numb. And then at the end of the, the show, the whole wall collapses. The wall comes down. Yeah. Nice. Oh, wow. What an incredible visual. It's funny, though. In the version I saw, which I think was Nassau Coliseum, mm-hmm. Roger Waters says, Are there any people out there who are weak? Any weak people out there? <laughs> Pathetic. <laughs> This song's for you. You better run like hell. <laughs> what a great intro. That's <laughs> awesome. Pathetic. <laughs> and Bob Ezrin was one of the people who convinced them to hit that disco sort of vibe on it. And in the movie, if you watch The Wall, this is where the main, the rock star character named Pink mm-hmm. rampages this village with some skinheads. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway. It's, Only Pink Floyd could think of something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of a, it was weird. It's how they transitioned him from being this Sid-like character to this Nazi-like character at, at a certain point. It was interesting, though, uh, how we saw his audience, I guess, as, as blind Nazis who were following him, no matter what he's saying. <laughs> and, you know, I, I guess it was yep. some metaphors you can get there. Anything else on Run Like Hell that you want to talk about now? I love the track. It's one of the ones... It's, if you put a bunch of tracks together that I absolutely loved, it would have been on there. But it catches you, it grabs you, it draws you in. And uh, um, I love the, uh, this will go back to some nerdy music them here. The intro is played over the root note, and they sure. play all the chords over the root note, which uh, I love that pattern in music, period. Fantastic track. Well-deserved to be on the list. So it's, it's, it's big of you to say you made a mistake. That's great. <laughs> okay, number seven. <laughs> Run Like Hell. Here we go. Okay, that was my number seven, Run Like Hell, Off of the Wall. Jason, what do you have as number seven? All right, so for number seven, I'll take us back to the Animals album. And there's only so many animals that you can pick from on that album. <laughs> but uh, my number seven is Sheep. I figured. Uh, good guess. Uh, I think the keys were very prominent in that song. I love the bass. I like the concept, the writing concept of looking at the, the British public as ignorant, as sheep, just simply following in a direction, not knowing why, but also as being very vulnerable. I think uh, just in general, people have a tendency to not be aware, and so that creates a vulnerability. I, I thought that Roger Waters really brought that out. Second half of the song is a really driving, almost, uh, I thought it was like a punk rock sort of vibe to it. Uh, overall, great track, and that's why I had it in my number seven. Yeah, I mean, you have the organ intro with the Leslie effects on there. You better watch out there. Maybe Dogs About and stuff. That's right. Which is interesting because Dogs is the previous track, right? Actually, it's too bad for previous. So it's like, it's it's kind of interesting how he's tying those together and still talking about the public in general. Yeah, uh, the song was actually called Raving and Drooling. It's funny. We had a dog (laughs) bark in the background right there. Perfect uh, timing. Because there's Dogs About. We planned that. Yes, but it was changed to fit the animal theme of the album. The sheep represents the mindless people who follow the herd. Mm. 
And there's a subliminal, if you will, a message in the song that's a parody of the 23rd Psalm. You can hear it. It's uh, it's heard underneath the music in a robotic, distorted voice, which she heard in the background. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. He converteth me to lamb cutlets. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's fantastic. Good tune. So let's hear a little bit of Jason's number seven, Sheep Off of Animals. Okay, that's Sheep, Jason's number seven. Good job. All right, so what do you have at number six? All right, so for number six, uh, we're moving into the, I guess, more well-known side of Pink Floyd. Great lyrics. It was easiest for me to understand the lyrics and just the way they were spoken or, or sung. Love the swelling organ and the accidental chords in the chorus. This is Brain Damage Eclipse from Dark Side of the Moon. Good tune. If you put your headphones on and turn down the bass... Listen carefully to the right channel at the end of the song. You can hear what sounds like Ticket to Ride by the Beatles in like a Muzak style while you're still hearing the beating of the heart. So so just, (laughs) that's an eclipse, by the way. The heartbeat is actually a kick drum processed to sound like a pulse. And well done. I mean, it fooled me. Love the uh, the lyric. There's someone in my head, and it's not me. me. I know you, know. you gotta love it. There's so much about this concept of control in Pink Floyd's writing, and it goes from gen- general mob control, like you know the sheep are being controlled by somebody, to now the individual who's there's gonna go in and, and fix his head, and now there's someone in his head, but it's not him anymore. And it's interesting. It, it has some ties back to Sid the song mm. the line well there's there's a couple lines in it but I'll, I'll talk about this one and if the band you're in starts playing different tunes it's a specific reference to sid who had a propensity for playing the wrong song on stage <laughs> and in the episodes towards towards the end wow. and his band will start playing something and he was not there wow and that was part of the reason they can plus the going insane part but that doesn't help i mean and that's i think this is the only song where they make reference to the dark side of the moon, right? Yeah. A lot of times you'll find a tune or a song that's the same title as the, as the album. And this, they actually refer to the title of the album you know, way back in another song. Well, they actually close out the whole album by saying, there is no dark side of the moon, really. It's all dark. You know? <laughs> it's just that Jerry O'Driscoll was the doorman at Abbey Road Studios. Ah. He said that. Interesting. What they did on Dark Side of the Moon... They had all of these emotions that they wanted people to deal with. Mm -hmm. So they interviewed people and all of these clips of people talking throughout the album. Hmm. They actually had cards that they interviewed people with that Roger Waters made up. And they took people in and they interviewed them with the cards, hoping they would say something interesting. It would start out like, what's your favorite color? And And then they'd be like, what was the last time you were violent? Wow. And were you in the right? And they'd have that sort of... And they even had uh, Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney they brought in. But they didn't use them because they gave the stock answers. They were trying to be funny. And that wasn't what they were looking for. They were looking for real. The authenticity, the... Yeah. And a lot of people just came up with that. It's like the doorman. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I've been crazy most of my life. You know what I mean? (laughs) And and all all these stuff that he's coming out with. And, you know, some roadies. And that they're getting some real responses. And it's really brilliant to put people in that situation and take the honest answers Hmm. and cut them up and put them on the album when you're talking about a specific issue. I was just blown away at how brilliant that was. But anyway, let's go to Brain Damage Eclipse. This is Jason's number six. Do not the dawn 
was Jason's number six, Brain Damage Eclipse. So yep. I'll go with my number six. And my number six is off of one of the best albums Floyd ever made that isn't the first two you think of. Uh, it's off of Wish You Were Here. My number six is Welcome to the Machine, ah. uh, which I love. I love the warble in the beginning of the song that makes it feel like a machine. I love that keyboard slash you know synthesizer slash sequencer sound that runs into uh, that acoustic strum. It's so great. Welcome, my son. Welcome to the machine. I really love the depths of the keys on this one, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Vocal line is great. Machine noises come back in after the turnaround. The acoustic instrumentation with the synth hits really work well. The pulsating bass and the sweeping synth runs are great later on. This song is so light on guitar, you wouldn't necessarily think this would be on my list, but I just love it. Also, this came back to my head. They had this show called Person of Interest. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Yes, I did. I was a big fan of it. Okay. And it's over now. Right. But they had two competing AIs, and, uh-huh. one, and the other one was The Machine. Yes. So they used this track, and it brought back into my mind not only the song, but the whole Wish You Were Here album. It's funny how a TV show can just do that. So thank you, Person of Interest. <laughs> anyway, Jason, any thoughts? That's a great track. I didn't hear any drums in the, in the track. And so to me, that's, that kept it out of my, my top 12, but overall the musicality was great. Like, again, you're absolutely right. The keys really drove the entire song, which you think would bring it up higher on my list, but you're a closet drummer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a great track. And uh, it's one that when it comes on the radio, I, I turn it up. All right. Let's listen to my number six. Welcome to the machine off of wish you were here. Yeah, that's my number six. Welcome to the machine. I wish you were here. I'm on five, I guess. So my number five, you just said, my number five is Brain Damage Eclipse. Ah, so we, we were, were so pretty close. close. Just one away. Yeah, and I was like, okay, what can I say here that I'm not going to completely take off <laughs> everything that I did? Uh, yeah, the lunatic is on the grass. Lunatic asylums. They mm-hmm. always have those signs. Keep off the grass. That's actually it. Wasn't about drugs. It was actually about. Oh, it was very it, literal. Yeah, it was literal. Oh, I, it, I didn't it was. Know that. It was those uh, insane asylums. They have to keep off the grass, and you have these all these loonies. You got to get that loony <laughs> off the grass, right? <laughs> The organ is epic and the chorus, I just yes. really love it. And the background vocalists make this tune. The soaring mm-hmm. notes they hit are just uh, so decent and juicy. And uh. The line, you raise the blade, you make the change, is a reference to frontal lobotomies, mm-hmm. by the way. It's always been part of the Pink Floyd mindset mm-hmm. by the members because of what they saw. Roger Waters thinks that LSD led to highlighting issues that Sid had and he thought he was schizophrenic Mm -hmm. and the fact that he took all this acid kind of opened that up Mm. and it kind of brought that forward a lot quicker than maybe it would have and it was really sad I mean there was times they said when he came back uh, right before they let him go they look in his eyes and he was not the same guy right and all of a sudden and it happened suddenly and he came back and his eyes were just black you know not black literally but there was nothing happening kind of like inside. kind of soulless you're talking like to a wall yeah yeah that's uh, just far beyond the scope of imagination uh, but but clearly a really sad result for uh, a talented musician 
Sure. All right, let's hear a little bit of clips off of Brain Damage on Clips, my number five. Okay, that's my number five. Brain Damage Eclipse. So we were really close on that. Yeah. Six and five. That was, I was, I was like, oh, so close. And that was because we've been so different otherwise. Yes. <laughs> so it was kind of funny that we, we almost hit on that. All right. Jason, what do you have at number five and then four? Number five. I'm going to stick with the Wish You Were Here album. Okay. This is one I think we did discuss combining uh, Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Definitely for me, the, the first track, the parts one through five was the dominant uh, of the two tracks. The, the part that just drew me in. Yeah, Shine On You Crazy Diamond is one song. It's yeah. just they split it up in between two. The way, just just the, the first section of it just, just drew me in um, and it was an incredibly powerful <laughs> progression. I uh, love the chords. I thought of it as almost like a blues anthem, which seems kind of a weird contradiction in musical terms. Definitely heard you know, blues progressions in there. The instruments working together, I mean, the instruments are finding space, and they're actually playing, they're all playing a song together, which is not as easy as it sounds. And I really thought they, they complemented each other well. Just a, a fantastic track, and that's why I made them a number five. No, I get it. So it's definitely a great tune. It's amazing what four notes can do. Yes. Really, that, that little <laughs> hook that uh, that Gilmore made that kind of made the, the song. And the way it echoed and the way he recorded mm-hmm. that, he had he put it in this other room, his amp, and then he had a mic far away. So it kind of had that vibe and the fullness, like it was on reverb, but it's all natural. Right. He created his own delay. Yeah. Not even delay, but more reverb. But yeah. Sound, yeah. So he'd have like the multiple mics, but he had that one really deep in the room gosh i can go on for a while uh the sax solo after the vocals mm-hmm. and but yeah it's a great song shine on your crazy diamond jason's number five okay that's shine on your crazy diamond Jason's number five. All right. What do you got at number four? All right. Number four. We're taking it to a little bit of a different vibe here. This has got a, a very prominent Rhodes electric piano dominant melody throughout the song. Comes down through uh, some really mellow choruses and really an, a really interesting concept discussing the topic of time from Dark Side of the Moon, my number four. As fate would have it. My number four is Time from Dark Side hey, of the Moon. Hey, we matched on one. Like, the clocks in the beginning is always, because when I listen to this, I mm-hmm. listen to this post. Marty McFly from yep. uh, In the Beginning right? of Back to the Future. <laughs> and then, I love the intro, but then the metronomic beat sort of thing, the metronome. Mm-hmm. It almost sounded like horse hooves, mm-hmm. which made me think, I am Arthur, King of the Britons. Bring out your lord and master. <laughs> Ridden on a horse. Yes. <laughs> You're using coconuts. <laughs> You've got two empty halves of coconuts and you're banging them together. That, that's what that reminds me of. That little, like, the that's, that's my little geek, geeky. Uh, it's a great song. I mean, it's the passing of time. Then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. Mm-hmm. No one told you when to run. You missed a starting gun. Let me let you pick up a little bit more right, before I take everything off of this one for you. Go ahead. 
it's something I've actually been been kind of discovering myself recently. I think having kids really marks time, and the passage of time is so much more evident when you when you have kids and you see your family grow and that sort of thing. So it's something that really resonated with me as I grasped the concept more of how fleeting time is. And then obviously I'd heard this song from way back when. Not only is this a musically great song, but the warning of uh, be careful what you do with time is well received. So true. And I love the way it ends because I think of this as the end of life. Mm-hmm. The time is gone. The song is over. Thought I had something more to say because yep. life had passed you by. And yeah, to your point with the kids and with everything. But I think as you get older, every year you get older, every year is a smaller portion of your life. Mm-hmm. So it becomes smaller by comparison. Yep. And we start, I think, as, and now I'll start getting deep here. You're on the couch with Rob. <laughs> um, but, That's uh, the name of your other sex tape, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it was, actually. Uh, I didn't know that was out in the public yet. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I ruined the, the oh, deep yeah, one. Yeah, let's, it, let's try to find it again. When you're a kid, you look forward, this is what I was going to say before. When you are a kid, you look forward to the next hour. Mm-hmm. You look next to, to the next three hours. Yes. When you're an adult, you look forward to dates. Mm-hmm. And those dates may be a month in the future. I'm looking forward to my birthday, Christmas, vacation, weekends, mm-hmm. even on a smaller scale weekends. But then it becomes weekends tend to meld together. And especially once you have kids, it's doing stuff, it's cleaning. It's mm-hmm. You look forward to those moments in life where you have that enjoyment, but they're further and further apart. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like that Jim Carrey movie where you have that fast forward button. Mm. Uh, you know, he has this one where god gives him a fast forward button and he so he can skip parts of life yeah and he's like oh my gosh i just missed all the best parts that's right because i was too busy wanting to get past the boring parts yep but as adults we tend to do that yes we skip the daily you know what are we doing this hour what are we doing these four hours Mm -hmm. what like my daughter will have a magical experience with her uh, animals or whatever she's doing mm-hmm. and she'll create a story she'll do a bunch of things and me i may sit in front of tv and gone you yep. know watching person of interest for example <laughs> 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 which is a lot of episodes for what four or five seasons whatever it was it, it was but still that's a large point of time that's yeah. gone and and now in the day where we can binge watch things yeah where we can go and spend evenings or weeks being engrossed in something mm-hmm. that's not life it's even going faster yeah so anyway that was my soapbox moment <laughs> this has been the soapbox moment on the couch with rob and the the soapbox was not part of the segment. <laughs> i'm sorry all right i was gonna <laughs> say when would that fit in maybe i don't want no, to I, 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 no. <laughs> yeah soapbox <laughs> <laughs> all right i put soap in there oh, wait, that's not soap <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm losing my mind. Oh, here's the number four song from both of us. Time. Okay, that's number four for Jason, time, and it's therefore my number four is time. So I'm going to go to my number three. My number three is Off of the Wall. Okay. 
And as we're getting to the top three, you know, these are going to be songs that most people have probably heard of. Mine has one of the best solos of all time in it. It's one of those songs that I've heard a million times and mm-hmm. I still love. Comfortably Numb. Okay. It's my number three. It's the last song that Waters and Gilmore wrote together. Mm-hmm. And they had the argument, Waters wanted this big orchestral, like how most of it is. Mm-hmm. And they wanted he wanted it all the way through like that. Hmm. And Gilmore wanted it the more rock, more towards the end of the track, mm-hmm. how it is. So they had some sort of... They uh, had tiff. Th- th- yeah, so they had a deal at the end where well, they split it and they said, okay, at the end of it, you can have that little rock area, mm-hmm. but the rest of it's going to be more orchest- orchestral, right? Ah. So... It was interesting. When I was a child, I had a fever. My hands felt just like two balloons, that section. This is Roger talking. Mm-hmm. Well, this is me talking, but Roger's speaking through me because I'm using a quote that he used in Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. I remember having a flu or something, an infection, a temperature of 105 and being delirious. Mm. It wasn't like like the hands looked like balloons. They were just big and frightening. And then later on in life, he, he was supposed to go out in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and it, he ended. He actually had hepatitis. He didn't oh. know. They thought he had something else, so they gave him a sedative, thinking it was a stomach problem. So as he was playing the show, he couldn't feel his hands. Oh, wow. He just felt numb on stage while he was playing it. Fans didn't realize that he was off, and he was just unable to focus, and he felt comfortably numb. You know, the, the fans were numb to the fact that he was up there... <laughs> Really screwing up all over the place because he couldn't feel anything. Because he was also And he was freaking out, yeah. As I said, the second solo is always on the top. Mm-hmm. Solo charts of all time. Just fantastic. He is the Defender Strat, a Big Muff Fuzz, and a High Watt, and a rotating speaker cabinet mm. to get some of that feel. He went in the studio for this. He said, I banged out like five or six solos, and I took the best parts. Nice. I love the pinprick part with the background yep. springs in here. And uh, Anyway, in case it's on your list anymore, so I won't talk anymore <laughs> about it. I don't want to just eat it all up. Anything about Comfortably Numb you want to talk about now? Uh, no. No, I'll, I'll save it for a little bit. Okay. So Comfortably Numb is my number three off of the wall. And here we go. Anyway, uh, that's Comfortably Numb, my number three, and you're up with your number three. So my number three, uh, we're going back to uh, the album Wish You Were Here. This is a snappy Rhodes, uh, grooving beat, a great synth lead. I love the dry lyrics and the satirical outlook on the uh, the music industry in general. This is Have a Cigar from Wish You Were Here, my number three. I'm shocked it's your number three. I, I thought it would be on your list, but it, it's great. And you know who sings this song, right? No. No. Because I was assuming either Roger or David, but if you're asking me, it's got to be somebody else. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Have you ever heard the Zeppelin song, Hats Off to Roy Harper? That's beyond my, my Zeppelin purview. The guy who they talk about there is Roy Harper, and he's the guy who sings Have a Cigar. Hmm. Interesting. The, the problem was, what happened, Waters sang lead on Shine On Your Crazy Diamond, mm-hmm. and he blew his voice out. Oh, really? And then he was trying to sing Have a Cigar, but he couldn't do it in the right sort of way. And then they had uh, Gilmore try it, and it really wasn't working either. Right. So Roy Harper's band was in the same studio, and he happened to be hanging out, and he'd come in from time to time, and he was watching them record Have a Cigar. 
and he saw all the problems they were having. So he said, hey, I can sing it for a cost. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he did it and he really didn't get paid a lot for it. Wow. But yeah, it's a, it's a really good tune. I, I have to admit, I did not know that. Um, I knew there was something different about the vocal. I honestly thought it was just effects or um, you know something the way that they mixed it. The the whole concept of just the the complete you know sales pitch that they're getting. Hey, come here, boy, have a cigar. You're gonna go far. My favorite line is, by the way, which one's, uh, which pink? one's pink, right? Because yeah, yeah. you know that just completely shows that they have no concept of the band, how it was created, where the name Pink Floyd came from. It's like, which one do you use, pink? Besides that, just the musicality of it, the roads, the way that it plays into the, the whole concept is just it makes it way up there on my list it was pretty much the cliches that roger waters just wanted to throw in every cliche that he's ever heard about the music industry and he did and he put it all in this song ah but yeah great tune so have a cigar this is your number three number three wow good job all right have a cigar All right, that was number three on Jason's list, which is Have a Cigar. Yep. I, I got to also add, too, with that track especially, when instruments find space and they feed off of one another and they find the space in the track itself so that, that the instrument can be heard and they back out and their instrument comes in, it's just it creates a beautiful piece. And sure. I think that's a great example of that kind of synergy in music. No, it's fantastic. It's a good tune. Definitely good. All right, so what's your number two? All right, we're getting close to the top here. Right, we're one away. So my number two is off of the Wall album. This is fantastic bass line, driving funk rhythm. I love the distortion that uh, David Gilmore puts in his voice. The uh, guitar lines, the the Rhodes counter melody behind the guitar solo is probably my favorite part of Young Lust. Wow. This didn't make my list, but I had toyed with the idea of putting it in. So I'm glad that you put it in the list. It's glad that it's being represented. I'm surprised it came so high. But that's okay. It's a very good tune. At the beginning of the song, just one of those, it's got that hook that just grabs just grabs you. And again, you're listening on the radio. Um, for, for me, I want to turn it up. There's there's intricacies in the piece that I didn't find until I actually you know listened to it repetitively over and over again. Once you watch the movie for The Wall, mm-hmm. the section when Young Lust comes on, two things really occur. The first thing, you see these uh, groupies come in and they give sexual favors to the security guards and stuff to get into the show. Sure. And one of them eventually hooks up with the main character, who's a rock star, who's loosely based on Sid Barrett meets Roger Waters, who is known as Pink. And the second thing, uh, the telephone outro operator call is a mirror of what Roger Waters went through. Interesting. He called home to call his wife Mm. at his house while he was on the road and a man answered the phone oh geez and it called twice and he answered it twice and that's why he didn't handle it and in the movie you can see the the pink character who mimics waters in that moment just collapse oh wow that his wife was cheating on him while he was away and there's somebody in bed with his wife you know and they they go through all that in the movie but 
once I saw the movie, I got, oh my gosh, that's what that was. I really never got that ah, before. Okay. Before understanding the the context of it, so that always kind of was a yeah was a part in there that uh, is interesting, and you know it's a really sad thing. But but I really wanted to talk about Gilmore's tone in Young Lust, his fuzz that he applies to it separates it from every other tone that he's played totally agree and it has maybe it's it almost sounds like he's using a baritone mm-hmm. or he's applying an octaver to it to get that kind of growly full sound mm-hmm. so I, i'm kind of curious i'm not quite sure if anybody knows the specific thing he did to that guitar in young lust please let me know there you have it yeah i just thought the construction of the music was top notch. I, I love the organ in the chorus, the way that that was deployed. But I have to go back to my favorite is I love counter melodies. So any kind of music that has a dominant sort of like a guitar solo or something like that, but there's another instrument doing a distinct counter melody underneath. To me, I just I'm awed by the musicianship. I'm inspired. Uh, the creativity is woken, and um, I just I want to get out there and, and I want to do something like that. So that's part of what made this piece uh, number two for me. Okay, so it's The Wall, it's number two, and it's Young Lost. He said he wanted a dirty woman. (laughs) Come over here. Come over here, dirty woman. (laughs) And leave that soapbox right where it is. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't know what to do, Beavis. (laughs) (laughs) We're just here for the chicks. (laughs) The filthy ones. I'm losing my freaking mind here. (laughs) It's okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Heitman has fallen off his chair. I have. I've fallen off my mind. I'm off my rocker. I'm, uh, anyway, I'm too much uh, thinking about some of the other songs of Floyd here. Following Sid's path, my number two off of Wish You Were Here. The title track off of Wish You Were Here. Mm. It's just an amazing acoustic music. It's an acoustic song, mm-hmm. but it, it really is. It's amazing uh, acoustic opening after an initial sort of clip uh, where they sort of have a radio and they try mm-hmm. to emulate somebody listening to the radio and playing guitar along with it. Yes. So that's that whole beginning, right? The AM radio. And the cough that you'll hear at like uh, about 30 seconds in or 25 mm-hmm. seconds in kind of signifies that this is somebody listening to the radio. Mm. And at least that's what they try to do. Uh, the acoustics sound great. The opening lines, so you think you can tell, heaven from hell. It's just an amazing line to start off from mm-hmm. uh verse two the drums and the band come in the piano accents really lift this yep. the scatting is just so good the song was based on a poem that roger wrote about sid's fall from reality oh and it's also about the detached feeling most people go through with life and how people can cope with the world by withdrawing physically and mentally and it even some people think that it was partially about the band mm-hmm kind of leading their own lives and how they he wishes that everybody was here. I think I read that. Yes. And then they just hit the mother load with dark side and their lives changed mm-hmm. and they just went and 
uh, it became a lot more of a corporate entity, mm. Pink Floyd. They did a really cool thing in between Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here. Mm-hmm. They, they started to do household items album people think it was partially a ruse so waters and uh waters and gilmore could write and give some of the rest <laughs> of bands to do like they were trying to make some pencil and rubber bands sound like a bass and they were, oh. trying, they were trying to play like a whole album with household items that was their thought and a couple okay. of things worked their way onto some of their stuff it was just kind of interesting <laughs> so anyway that was happening in between dark side because they were so so successful and like how do you follow that up mm-hmm. and then they were thinking let's just do something avant-garde and do this household items and then that didn't work mm. so then they did and wish you were here which i think is the best pink floyd album it's sad to say i mean i dark side is deep in my heart for me and i know you yep. people love that uh, but it's definitely close with dark side for me because dark side as an album is better as a piece of art mm. You know I what I'm saying? That. Uh, like, there's no the art in "Wish You Were Here" album isn't the same mm-hmm. for me as "Dark Side" is just this masterpiece. Yeah. So, but of the songs on "Wish You Were Here," every one is good. Yes. There's not a bad song, and they can stand on their own, as mm-hmm. we proved. Like you've had, like I had, "Welcome the Machine" on mine wasn't mm-hmm. on yours. You had, well, "Have a Cigar" on on yours wasn't yep. on mine. That sort of stuff. Yep. So shine um, on you, crazy diamond. diamond. I think you have totally. there, yeah, which whatever that there is, but that that kind of ruins my my point. But <laughs> the, <laughs> but anyway, my number two is "Wish You Were Here." Off of "Wish You Were Here," any thoughts? It's it's a great song. Um, it's amazing what you can. When I listen to that song at the very beginning, I I think it's amazing what you can do with an acoustic guitar and a very straightforward guitar line. It's not. I won't say it's like overly technical, but I don't want to diminish the the beauty and the creativity that's that that birthed that line because that's what draws everybody in. It's like when you hear that line, everyone knows it's coming. But the acoustic solo on top of that, like on the riff in the beginning, even mm-hmm. though that you know da 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 that part, but then when he starts running that, I remember playing with a in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I was playing the rhythm part, and uh, a friend of mine, Pat Papa, who was playing guitar in my what we called the band back then. He was brilliant. His father was a jazz musician. He mm. was just brilliant lead guy. And he used to play the lead. And we used to play that uh, Wish You Were Here out. Uh-huh. And it was just great to see how like my little riffs can like... And, and he's playing all this stuff. <laughs> I'm like, that's freaking awesome. And I can play it all now anyway. But it's just it, that point. I was like, oh, yeah. that's so cool. You know, It's and, just it's a song you want to sing along to. I mean, anytime that comes on, you just you want to belt it out. I love that the line, you know, we're just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl year after year. To me, that just grabs me and speaks to the, the whole concept of the song. But great pick. Probably should have made my list. Didn't. Well worth being way up on the list. Here's a great tune. It must be because it's my number two. And Rob is never wrong. So let's hear uh, Wish You Were Here, number two. So, so you think you could tell. Heaven from hell, blue skies from pain. All right, I just want to listen to the whole thing. It's funny how songs take you back to a point in life. Hmm. Like I was closing my eyes and I was there mm-hmm. back in my college days. 
just for that moment. We have the music blasting in here. That's why you can hear it. We have to play it through the speakers. We can't play the digital version, so you can't listen to it. So we're listening through our speakers of the albums that we own. So <laughs> I'm, I'm playing it, and I just need to close your eyes, and I'm listening, and I heard more than 15 seconds. I apologize. And it brings you there. Mm-hmm. It brings you where you heard that song, where you were, the people you were around that moment. Yep. And it brings you there. And music's so wonderful like that. Anyway. Absolutely. Sidebar. So that was my number two, which means I get to go to my number one now. All right. That's my Drum number. roll, please. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. We've and, made it to the top. And it's one of the songs that was mentioned before okay. way too early. It's off of the best album Pink Floyd ever made. All right. Shine On You Crazy Diamond is my number one. Nice. Okay. Nice. Tribute to Sid Barrett. It's interesting. During the final mixing of Shine On You Crazy Diamond, this bald, fat guy walked into the studio and was wandering around, and people were like, what the heck? I guess he must know somebody or whoever. And then Gilmore, after like an hour, this guy's like walking around, and he, he turns to uh, turns to Roger, and he's like, do you know who that is? I don't know. That's Sid. And he had, was, was walking around the studio, bald, fat and there's a picture you can Mm -hmm. find online of him like that and it crushed the band it it was just so sad for them Mm -hmm. to see that guy and if you've seen pictures of Sid it's this skinny guy who was their front guy Mm -hmm. four years ago and all of a sudden poof wow he's this guy who you couldn't even recognize I think it even at the story that I read even said he had lost his eyebrows. Yeah, it was, it was just he he was he turned himself into or he turned into uh, a completely different you know looking individual, and uh, I can only imagine the the grief that those guys had you know could have experienced seeing their friend turn up like that. One of the band members tried to break the ice. He goes, "What happened? You know, how do you what happened?" He goes, uh, and Sid manically replied, as the, at least that's what they say. I have a very large fridge in the kitchen, and I've been eating a lot of pork chops. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> it's a great bed and build up to the song. The organ noodling and the improv guitar, about like two to th- two and three minutes in there, are great. It, the tribute to Sid and the vocals works so well. Mm-hmm. It gets a bit of a disco-y tone almost at the end of the second track, but that's all right. Which we'll, is the we'll which which them. is the the last last one. That's yeah. the one at the back end of "Wish You Were Here," at the end. But overall, just one of the best. Well, it is the best Pink Floyd song ever. Once again, long song. Combined twenty five fifty eight. Take the front and the back parts, and you put them all together. Parts one through nine, or whatever it is. Love the acoustic arpeggiation under the sax solo. Little things that sound great, and the extra breakup on the second guitar solo is great too. Yeah, one of the things we haven't talked much about tonight is the uh, amount of sax solos in Pink Floyd's music. And the different types of saxophones they use. They use a baritone at least once. There's a, I think it's an alto. I haven't heard a tenor. Definitely the lower end of the saxophones. Or maybe, maybe there's a tenor. I haven't heard a soprano. I'm not the not the smartest on the terms of the saxophone pitches. But the the implementation of the saxophone in their tracks is just, it's an incredible addition to their music. Uh, especially in, you know, Shine On You Crazy Diamond. It just adds so much soul and, and emotion and feeling to their songs. And it's funny, the guy who they have playing the sax, which is Dick Perry, he was a guy from Cambridge hmm. who they knew. And it was just the guy they knew who played sax when they were growing up. Hmm. And they were kind of awkward about asking other people to 
play sax because they didn't know him and they didn't know all this stuff. So he ends up doing like most of the sax parts for all of Floyd. Oh wow! And it was just somebody they knew who played right, who's played awesomely. You know, he's, oh, yeah. he's he's not a bad sax player. He's a good sax player that they knew, but they could have got like world renowned people, but they just got him because he, they knew him. He knew them. He understood the vibe they were generally going for. So yeah, yeah, he played on that. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> back to my number one. <laughs> Shine on your crazy diamond. What a fantastic tune. So let's listen to a little bit. Okay. Okay, there's the number one song. Shine on your crazy diamond. Whatever Jason had, it doesn't matter. So, uh, oh, wait, oh, you still have to give your number one. Okay, uh, I can guess what it is, yep. but I'll let you have and, it. And you're, and you're absolutely right. This is, in my opinion, the best song that Pink Floyd ever wrote. It is, I think, two of the best guitar solos in the industry um, because of how it fits into the piece. Sure. Um, and, and, and not because David's trying to do anything more than what the piece is asking for. Let everybody know what song you're talking about, although I know it's pretty clear. <laughs> uh, number one Pink Floyd song in the whole wide world is Comfortably Numb, Off of the Wall. Okay. It's, it's an incredibly powerful ballad. Everyone sings along with it. I, I thought it was interesting that it came to number one for me because the chord progressions are very straightforward. There's not a lot of accidentals there. It's really, it's, they stay in, in the key, but they've just, they've locked into something. They locked into something that, that people gravitate towards. It's, it evokes an emotion that just, that grips folks. The string lines are straightforward, but the, the, the arpeggiated runs down the scale just to, to me, add this incredibly colorful touch um, obviously you've got this organ in, in the second guitar solo that's, that fits a, a nice bass underneath it. But I mean, as, even as a keyboard player, I am in just in absolute awe of the guitar in this song. Sure. So for me, absolutely number one, no question, comfortably numb off the wall. It's interesting with Gilmore and this wall album was a Waters thing and Waters had it all. He had it demoed the whole, mm. the whole album. He had all these ideas brought to the table, and that's what they were going to go with. And he was getting authoritarian about it. And Gilmore came in with this one song, which was Comfortably Numb, mm. which was the music for it. Okay. Uh, Waters wrote the lyrics, which was why it was on the album, because I'm sure if he wouldn't let Roger <laughs> write the lyrics, it wouldn't have been on the album. But uh, he brought that in to his vision, and he was able to get his song on the album mm. and it turns out to be jason wex number <laughs> one, one song and probably the most popular song by pink floyd ever i yeah. remember watching it on a on the live aid 2005 and watching them on, on they were in england i think somewhere i forget where yeah but, and they um, all played together they did. Yeah, was, I think that was the first time in like in in how many years? Yeah, twenty some odd years. And and I have the link by the way. It's on the show notes. So if you want to watch it, you can oh, it's, have it, it there. Yeah, it's an incredibly emotional, provoking performance. Um, it's almost like even though you can still sense there's some hesitation there, they're almost glad to be back together. Everybody yeah. but Gilmore. And it's funny, it was Waters was very happy to be back because what had happened is they were going on tour against each other and, <laughs> and Floyd was selling out stadiums and Waters was appearing to half empty 
smaller venues. So, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, playing a, a 15,000 seat with 7,000 people in it. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, Floyd was playing in the same town a couple times, like the week after, and they were selling out a 70,000 seat arena. <laughs> so he kind of felt so. And all of a sudden he was back in that. Right. And he really loved it. And you can even see, like, when he said, like, oh, this is so great. It's really great. Yeah. You look at Gilmore looking away. And, and, and he looked and, very grumpy in that performance. And, I, he, I, and I he had a call. He said, come on, come on, <laughs> for the hug at the end. And, that you know, they did that. Everybody stood together and, yeah. and, and Waters had his arm around him. And then immediately after, Waters walked this way and Gilmore kind of darted and he hung out with Richard Wright and right. people like that. <laughs> people who we toured with, right? <laughs> people in part of Floyd. And he was like, oh gosh, thank God he's gone. You know? <laughs> and Waters was like, we really should think about doing this again. You know? <laughs> So it was that that big thing. But anyway, Comfortably Numb, Jason Wex, number one, and I can understand why. It was my number three, so it's probably going to be pretty high on the list regardless. Comfortably Numb, guitar is awesome. Just saying, if you're thinking about playing keyboards or playing guitar, guitar is awesome. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything you want to hear particularly? Um, we didn't hear the first guitar solo in the, okay, in let's the first, do the first one. Guitar so let's do that. Solo. Let's do that. That's Jason Wex, number one. So here we are. We're done. We made it. We made it. And uh, we're going to go have the computer figure out everything. But before we do that, uh, let's just talk about the beer. What do you think? All right. Now that we've kind of almost finished the... (laughs) Elysian Space Dust, very, very smooth. The the, the bitterness of the hops does not overpower the fruit. So I I found it to be easy drinking. It can lighten the palate and... uh, very very enjoyable and, and absolutely space dust fits with our topic of this evening so. sure it does yeah and it, for me it was just a really good r- relaxing beer tasted great nothing too complex but a but a, a hazy sort of i generally like hazy ipas because there are flavors there that you can discover mm-hmm. and part of me likes that and uh that little my nose goes slightly in the air just a little bit when I when I drink a hazy IPA because I'm like I can pick out a fruit I can pick out something that's interesting, but at the end of the day it's something that I'm drinking it's something that I'm enjoying, and to your point it's ninety some odd degrees here in California. It's refreshing. It is indeed. It's not a porter. Nope. Or a stout. <laughs> yeah, those are refreshing in their own way, but they're, yep. they're they won't they won't be uh, refreshing for a couple of months yet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's remind people of what our twelve were. I will read mine from twelve to one, and then you read yours from twelve to one. All okay. Right. My number twelve was learning from learning to fly off a momentary lapse of reason. Number eleven was money off a dark side of the moon. Number 10 was Happiest Days of Our Lives and Another Brick in the Wall Part 2, Off of the Wall. Number 9 was Set Controls for the Heart of the, Heart of the Sun, Off of Saucer Full of Secrets and Live Off of Amagama. Number 8, Pigs, three different ones, Off of Animals. Number 7, Run Like Hell, Off of the Wall. Number 6, Welcome to the Machine, Off of Wish You Were Here. Number 5, Brain Damage and Eclipse, Off of Dark Side of the Moon. Number four, Time off of Dark Side of the Moon. Number three, Comfortably Numb off of the Wall. Number two, Wish You Were Here off of Wish You Were Here. And number one, Shine On You Crazy Diamond 
off of Wish You Were Here in 1975. There you go. So, Jason? All right. My number 12 was Echoes from the metal album. Number 11 was Childhood's End from Obscured by Clowns. Number 10 was Let There Be More Light from A Saucer Full of Secrets. Off of what? What What do you call it? <laughs> Obscured by Clowns. <laughs> Watch out. There's like clowns. <laughs> Uh, number nine is the Nile song <laughs> off of Relics. Uh, number eight is uh, Happiest Days, another Brick in the Wall, part two from the wall. Number seven is Sheep from Animals. Number six is Brain Damage Eclipse from Dark Side of the Moon. Number five is Shine On, You Crazy Diamond from Wish You Were Here. Number four is Time from Dark Side of the Moon. Number three, Have a Cigar from Wish You Were Here. Number two, Young Lust from the Wall. And the number one song Pink Floyd ever, ever made was comfortably numb from the wall okay so right now we're going to count backwards from five we're going to do that wayne's world thing you know and magically all of a sudden we're going to have the the our official dirty dozen top dirty dozen right yep so here it is okay we're back oh sorry i had just a little close there uh all right uh, so here is the official dirty dozen for pink floyd Number 12, pigs, three different ones. Number 11, sheep. Number 10, run like hell. Number 9, welcome to the machine. Number 8, happiest days. And another brick in the wall, part two. Number 7, have a cigar. Number 6, wish you were here. Number 5, young lust. Number 4, brain damage eclipse. Number 3, time. Mm. Number 2, I'll pause for effect here. <laughs> Shine on you, crazy time. Oh, and number one, comfortably numb. Wow. Well, we were close. I think comfortably numb was closer than the spread for yeah. uh, for Shine on. Yeah. What a great list, though. I mean, yeah, no, it's it's all good. Every one of those songs is fantastic. So. Yep. It's all good. So there you have it, dude. We made it all the way. We made it all the way to the top. So uh, next week we're going to be coming back with uh, Jacob. Will be joining us again, and uh, well, in two weeks. Uh, from this podcast release, we're going to be doing Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nice. So that should be good. Yep. Uh, so how did you enjoy your experience? Oh, this was great. Thanks for having me. Um, I was honored to be here. I was honored to be included. What an adventure. Just exploring Pink Floyd, listening to all of the, the creativity and the, and the composition. Just an, an absolutely fantastic time. So thank you very much. Okay. From Jason and I, thank you, everybody. By the way, uh, please subscribe if you haven't. Uh, I, we really appreciate all of you. And subscribe, you kind of join our family, and it's awesome. And I appreciate everybody who's uh, been involved on Facebook and listening to our podcast. We're in the thousands of people who've downloaded our our podcast now, oh, uh, which is which is great. Thank you so much for for including us in your lives. Uh, it means so much to me. Uh, me so much to Jacob, I know, and Jason for this episode and help make this episode a, a great episode so Jason can look back and say, look, look how many people listen to my episode. <laughs> so uh, Pink Floyd, so uh, come out there and listen. And uh, thank you so much and uh, God bless and I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>